National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is a classic Christmas movie, which is likely why Chris Herline decorated his Austin home, well, like this. His decorations perfectly depict the scene where Clark Griswold slips on his snowy roof and ends up hanging from it for dear life. But in his efforts to win a Christmas decorating contest, Herline may have outdone himself. A concerned passerby, a man named Alfred Norwood Jr., who was a retired veteran, hopped out of his car and tried to rescue the man he thought was dangling from the roof. He screamed for help and called 911. The Herline security camera caught it all on video. All right. Can you reach it? Can you reach it? The Herlines felt so bad, they tracked Norwood down and gave him a gift certificate for groceries. Even though Herline told the Post that he originally wanted to get Norwood a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. One year membership in the Jelly of the Month Club. Okay. Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. That it is, Edward. Alfred is my hero. He is a real-life hero. He saw what he thought was someone in trouble, and he ran to help. Hold on. Hold on. And you know, as I watched that, I thought about how often we need people in our lives who will come alongside of us at difficult times and encourage us to hold on. We need people to come alongside of us and to encourage us to hold fast to our faith in Jesus Christ. I've, I've been burdened this Christmas season with the fact that problems just don't take a holiday. And, and I have seen that up close and personal, more so this December than I remember in a long time. I've stood by two families in the last few days as they said goodbye to their loved ones. I got a phone call from a teenage girl who says, I'm struggling because my parents are divorced and I don't want to be torn between two families anymore. I talked to someone who's struggling because their loved one is deployed overseas and will not be home for Christmas. There are people that are dealing with financial struggles and there are people who have lost their jobs or there are people who were worried about a loved one perhaps getting sick with COVID-19 and they're living with that dread. Over and over, it seems like every day, I encounter people who are going through very difficult circumstances. And let's be honest, there are times those difficult circumstances can make even the best Christian, however you define that, question their faith. God, where are you? God, why are you letting this happen? God, why aren't you answering my prayers? God, why didn't you prevent this from happening to me or to my family? And it's why some people are tempted to give up on their faith. They're wondering, why read my Bible? Why pray? Why go to church? Why tune into church? And I understand that feeling. And maybe there's someone here that is already there. You've already made up that decision in your mind that the Christian faith is not for you anymore. You feel like you once believed, but you're not sure if you still believe. 
Maybe you're just going through the motions. You, you don't look any different. You don't seem any different to anyone from the outside. But deep down, you're just wondering if all of this is a waste of time. And I can understand that. Because when you're hurting, it can be hard to hold on to your faith. In fact, that may be why many in our culture are already turning away from the Christian faith is because they cannot square the reality of an evil world and a suffering world and a hurting world with the theology of a good God. And it's just hard to make sense of that. And if that's where you are, I tell you, you're in the right place today because you're not alone. All of us at one point or the other, even those of us who have placed our confidence in Jesus Christ, need someone to come alongside of us once in a while and say, hold on. To your confession of faith. Hold on to what you believe about Jesus Christ. I know your feelings and I know the world and I know the temptations and I know the struggles of your life will tempt you to pull away and to give up and to throw in the towel, but hold on to your confidence in Jesus because God is not finished yet. And you know, we're not the first people to struggle with this temptation to become discouraged. There's a whole book in your New Testament. It's really just a letter. We call it the book of Hebrews, but it was penned by an unknown author. Uh, there are all kinds of speculations of who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we don't really have evidence of who the author is. Some say it was the apostle Paul. Some say, well, no, the Greek is a little different than Paul's typical style of writing. Some say, well, it was Barnabas uh, who wrote this Letter. We don't know. I like what one theologian said. It doesn't matter who the human author is. The point is God is the author. He's writing a letter to us to encourage us. In this letter, we don't know the exact date in which it was written. It was probably written somewhere in the year A.D. 68 or 69. It was definitely before the fall of Jerusalem by the Romans in A.D. 70. The Romans came in and put down a rebellion against the Jews, and uh, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. But when you read the book of Hebrews, all of that is still in place. So we know it was somewhere before A.D. 70, probably A.D. 68, 69. And the reason we know that is because there were waves of persecution that would come against Christians by the Roman Empire. And the people that were receiving this letter were Jewish Christians primarily who were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. Whenever you read the book of Hebrews, you are reading people who are losing their livelihoods because they're Christians. They're being afflicted and physically beaten and persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They're watching their own family members and friends who do not share their faith reject them and ostracize them. They are losing their jobs because in that day, you often had to be a part of a guild or a society for your particular skill or craft or trade. And if you did not follow the pagan rites and practices of that particular trade guild, you would be kicked out and you would lose your job. And the writer of Hebrews knows that these Jewish Christians are being tempted to say, have I put my confidence in Jesus in vain? Life was so much easier before I put my confidence in Jesus. Life was easier when I just went to the temple in Jerusalem and I went through the rituals and I went through the motions Maybe I just need to give up on Jesus and go back. 
And so one of the big reasons the book of Hebrews was written was to encourage these Jewish Christians to hold on. I want to take you today to one little part of this book, this letter. It's Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and I want to read today verses 14 through 16. And I want you to hear the encouragement and the instructions that the writer of Hebrews gives to these struggling Christians because I believe you're going to find a point of application for your own life as well if you're struggling, if you're hurting, if you're giving up on your faith or you're thinking about throwing in the towel. And maybe, just maybe, you're one of the lucky ones no, no, really no luck. You're one of the blessed ones who everything's going well right now. You don't understand what I'm talking about. You're saying, man, what a downer of a sermon, you know, before Christmas. And if that's where you are, I am thrilled for you. I'm thrilled that things are going well for you. I'm thrilled that your life is going great for you right now. But I'm going to encourage you as well. Take some good notes today. Because there will come a time in all of our lives when we're going to need someone to come alongside of us and say, hold on. Hold fast. Don't give up. You're going to get through this. God's not finished yet. Keep your faith in Jesus. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, the writer tells us to do two things when we feel overwhelmed with the pains and the problems of life. He tells us first to hold fast, and then later he will tell us to draw near. He begins by encouraging us to hold fast. Verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let's stop right there for a moment. He's been describing the ministry of Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews, he takes us all the way back to creation. And he says, Jesus is the one through whom God created the whole universe. That's who he is. He is the eternal son of God. And he skips over the Christmas birth narratives of Jesus. And he gets straight to the point of why Jesus came into the world. Jesus came into the world, according to the writer of Hebrews, in order to die on a cross to forgive us of our sin. Jesus paid the price on the cross of Calvary for all the wrong we have done. Jesus said, Father, the whole world has sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of your glory and your standard and your righteousness. So I will exchange my righteous life for their unrighteous life. I will offer my sinless life on behalf of their sinful lives. Let me take the punishment they deserve. And that is exactly what Jesus was doing on the cross of Calvary. And not only did he die on the cross of Calvary, he was resurrected on the third day physically alive from the grave. The first century Christians were so willing to die for their faith, not because it was something that they had just heard about or read about. They had encountered the living Jesus walking around alive after he had died on the cross of Calvary. And they could not deny the resurrection of Jesus. Over 500 Christians saw Jesus alive. And so they're living for their faith and they're willing to die for their faith because they have seen a man die and rise from the dead on the third day. And Jesus spent about 40 days after his resurrection intermingling with those hundreds of Christians. And then he went back to heaven physically alive. 
And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the writer of Hebrews, being a Jew, writing primarily to Jewish Christians, says, don't you understand, if you walk away from Jesus and go back to the temple in Jerusalem, go back to the Old Testament ceremonies, go back to the Old Testament uh, priesthood, you're going back to shadows that no longer have any meaning because it has been fulfilled in Jesus. We now have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Now there again, if you were a first century Jew, you understood the image that the writer is portraying here. That the Jewish priesthood had a high priest. He was at the pinnacle of the priesthood. And once a year he would sacrifice a lamb on behalf of the people. Because that's what a priest does. A priest represents the people to God And he represents God to the people. And so he would sacrifice a lamb. He would sprinkle its blood on the mercy seat inside the holiest place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. There was no chair in there for him to sit down. He was only in there long enough to do what he was commanded by God to do as he sprinkled that blood on the mercy seat. And then he came out. And he could only do that once a year. Yom Kippur. The Day of Atonement, he would go in, and then he would come back out. And the writer of Hebrews says, you now have a great high priest who offered not the blood of a lamb, but his own blood on the cross of Calvary. And he died, and he rose from the dead, and he went back to heaven, and he has done what no other priest has ever done. He sat down, because his work is fully Finished forever. That's your great high priest who represents you to God and who represents God to you. He is none other than Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus speaks of his humanity. The Son of God speaks of his deity. And because of who Jesus is, hold fast to your confession of faith in Jesus. Hold fast to that confession because you've got a great high priest who represents you before the throne of God. And you've got a great high priest who understands you, who understands what you are going through. Sometimes people call me whenever they need something and I am honored, honored to not just stand on this stage and preach. There are a lot of preachers in the world today. The world needs a few more pastors, people who come alongside people when they're going through difficulties in their life. And I'm honored to not just be a preacher, but to be a pastor. But there are so many times I feel absolutely unqualified for the need before me. And I'm so grateful that in that moment, my job is not to point people to me My job in that moment is to point people to Jesus, their great high priest, who understands and who sympathizes and who relates to us. Hold fast. Last week when I stood with those two families at the deathbed of loved ones, both of those families, when everything was done, said, how could we do this without Jesus? How could we get through this without Jesus Christ? Notice verse 15. 
The writer continues, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he says, Jesus not only represents you before the throne of God as your great high priest, he understands you. He can relate to you. He can, in the writer's word, he can sympathize with you. And in the Greek, the word sympathize means to suffer along with another person. Jesus is able to suffer alongside of you when you are suffering. I was listening to my, my Elvis music the other day. And one of, the, one of the, probably not as famous Elvis songs is Walk a Mile in My Shoes. Anybody remember that song? Probably came out, I think he recorded that in the 70s. But, uh, you know, it's just talking about sometimes we just need somebody who will stop judging us and will just walk a mile in our shoes and then they might understand us a little better. If they had gone through what we've gone through, they might understand why we feel like we feel and why we behave like we behave and why we fear what we fear. Well, I'm grateful to tell you that we have a Lord and Savior who has walked a mile in our shoes. Christmas is about God becoming flesh, the God-man, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what it's all about. And he can sympathize with us because he has walked a mile in our shoes. He knows what it is to live the full human experience there's nothing you'll ever go through that he doesn't relate to or that he can't understand. Have you been lonely? He knows what it is to be lonely. Have you ever been betrayed by people you trusted? He knows what it is to be betrayed and to be lied about. Have you ever been mocked and ridiculed by someone judging you just on outward appearance? He knows what it's like to be judged. Have you ever suffered in any form? He knows what it's like. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53 says he is a man of sorrows and he's acquainted with grief. Do you know what it is to be brought low by the death of someone you love with all of your heart? The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He wept when his friend Lazarus had died. He knows. He understands. He can relate to what you're going through. And the writer of Hebrews is quick to tell us that he is not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he is one who in every respect has been tempted. He's been tested. He has been tried as we are. Yet without sin, you see, often whenever I'm tested, whenever I'm tempted, Whenever I've been put through a trial, I don't always succeed. I don't always pass the test. I don't always get it right. I don't always respond like I should to those moments of trial and testing. But Jesus, our great high priest, who sympathizes with us, who re represents us and who understands us, he endured everything victoriously and never sinned. As the Son of God. And, and maybe for a moment you think, well, then he can't relate to me. How can he relate to me if he's never sinned? Well, let me ask you a question. You have two men, God forbid, 
who were captured in a time of war. And they are put to the test by their tormentors to get information from them. And one man endures only 10 minutes of that torture before he gives up and gives in and gives out all the information his tormentors are asking for. He knows something about torture. But what about this man who endures the same torture and endures it to the very bitter end when he dies, having never given in to his tormentors? I'll tell you who knows more about torture and more about about victory. It's the one who never gave in. And if you find yourself in times of trial and trouble, it's good and it's helpful and often it's comforting to have someone who has been there with you even if they haven't always succeeded. But it's even better to have someone with you who has been through what you've been through and they have victoriously overcome it. Now they're the ones who can speak into your life. They're the ones who can say, hold on. They're the ones who can give you an example that will never let you down. And that's who Jesus is. Christianity needs to get its eyes off of each other and we've got to get our eyes back on Jesus. And if you're questioning the faith of Christians and if you're not sure if you believe Christianity is real, I am so sorry that we have muddied the water and we've pointed people to ourselves and we've made a mess of what Christianity is all about. It's not about me. It's not about a denomination. It's not about a church. It's not about a religion. It is about Jesus Christ who became one of us and who overcame everything this evil world threw at him, and he was victorious. And I'm going to tell you, just put your eyes on him. He'll never let you down. He'll never disappoint you. He'll never lead you astray. And when nobody else can help you, he can. He can. That's not in my notes, but that's good preaching. And I think somebody needs to hear that. Somebody needs to hear that today. Because your Christianity cannot be based on somebody else. We're all flawed people. Each one of us in this room or each one of us watching or listening online have Achilles heels. We all have our own flaws and our own hang-ups. But we have a great high priest who understands what we're going through. Who can sympathize and suffer with us. But who can also help us from a place of victory like no one else can. So we're encouraged by the writer of Hebrews, whenever you're feeling tempted to give up, to first of all, hold on. Hold fast your confession of faith in Jesus. Jesus, I don't understand what's going on. I don't like what's going on. I'm hurting. I'm struggling with my faith, but I hold on to you anyway. I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. I don't know why you've let this happen. I don't know how it's all going to work out for good, but I hold on to my confession of faith because my confidence is not in my circumstances. It's in you. And then he encourages us, secondly, to draw near. Draw near. Look at verse 16. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're not only to hold fast, we're to draw near. What should you do when you know you've got a great high priest who represents you before the throne of God and who understands you and what you're going through down here. 
What should you do? You ought to draw near to him. You ought to come closer to him. You ought to do what's not expected. What is expected is whenever you're hurting and you're suffering and you're being persecuted and you're confused, what is expected is that you draw away from God. That your problems drive you away from God. But Christians ought to be known as people who do the unexpected, who do the unusual. We draw near to God, even in our time of grief and sorrow. And we do what? We draw near where? To the throne of grace. Aren't you grateful that in heaven, because of Jesus, we don't have to stand before a throne of judgment. We stand before a throne of grace. The throne of unmerited, undeserved love. That's the place where you ought to draw near. Not some earthly temple, not some earthly church building, not some earthly preacher or priest, but we draw near to Jesus and the throne of His grace. And how do we draw near? We draw near with confidence. That doesn't mean arrogance. It doesn't mean boastfulness. In fact, in the Greek language in which this letter was written, most of your New Testament was written in Greek, the word confidence translated means citizen to citizen. In the, in the first century, if you were a Roman citizen, you had a level of relationship that you had with another Roman citizen that you didn't have with anybody else in the world. Rome considered it, you're either a Roman or you're not. And there was an open community and dialogue and, and mutual understanding and acceptance between one Roman citizen and another. That's the word confidence. Citizen to citizen. And when you go before the throne of grace, you can have confidence because you are a child of God. You are an heir of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're not a guest. You're a family member. And you can come to God with confidence. You don't have to cross your fingers behind your back hoping he hears you, hoping he wants you to hear your prayers. If you're a person putting your faith in Jesus, have confidence when you worship that God is honored and glorified. Have confidence that when you pray, God hears you. And when do we draw near? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. Here it is. In time of need. The Christian faith does not guarantee you a life of free unadulterated bliss and happiness. The Savior that you follow suffered and He died on a cross and He overcame the grave. And to be a follower of Jesus means we've signed up to bear our cross and to follow Him. So when you find yourself in need, be grateful you've got someone who can help you in your time of need. And how does He help you? Well, he gives you mercy and grace. He gives you mercy for your past. Aren't you grateful for the mercy of God? Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you deserve. I'm so grateful for the mercy of God where God doesn't always give me what I deserve. If I got what I deserved, I would disappear in a puff of smoke right before your eyes. A lightning bolt from heaven would shine down. But God's merciful. And I'm humbled that he's merciful with me and with my past. 
And whenever you have messed up, whenever you've failed, whenever you've stumbled, whenever your faith has been shaken, come to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited, undeserved love. And in that moment of your greatest need, you're going to find mercy from God because he understands you and he understands what you're going through. And he gives you not only mercy, he gives you grace in your time of need. If mercy is where God doesn't give you what you do deserve, grace is where God gives you what you don't deserve. He gives you the gift of his love. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't certainly deserve it. All you have to do is to receive it. And how often we need to run to the throne of God's grace in time of mercy. How do I come to God's throne of grace? Through worship, like we've done today. Through prayer, talking to God, and through reading the scriptures where God speaks to us, and we come to him and we receive mercy and grace to help. I always like to find some way to apply the message and and give you something to do with what you've heard. You do know this book was not given just for your information. It was given for your transformation. And then I realized, I don't need to give you any homework. This verse has already given it to you. Hold fast and draw near. Hold on to your confession of faith in spite of all your fears and your questions. And draw near to God in worship and in prayer. And you're going to find what you need. But to help you remember this... And why you ought to do it, the reason you ought to hold fast, the reason you ought to draw near is because you've got a great high priest in heaven who represents you and who understands you. So every day this week, whenever you put on your shoes, you can tell it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas because all the Floridians are putting on their great, nicest sandals and uh, they're, they're just really dressing up for the holiday. So every time you put on your sandals or you put on your shoes, I want you to remember there's one up there who walked more than a mile in your shoes. And he's the one that says, hold on, just come to me, and I'm going to get you through this. Let's pray together. And after this prayer, I want you to hear a song. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder today that if no one else needed, I needed. That in spite of all of our problems, we need to be reminded to hold on and to draw near. And today we thank you for Jesus And we hold on to our confession of faith in him. (laughs) We don't hold on to a confession of faith in ourselves or our circumstances or religion or politicians. We hold on to our confession of faith in Jesus. Our great high priest, the son of God, who gave his life for us on the cross of Calvary, died, was buried, rose from the dead, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And whoever lives for us, we hold on to that confession of faith. And we draw near to him in worship and in prayer and in reading the scriptures so that we can find what we need in our time of need. We need mercy and we need grace. God, we thank you for this reminder today that because Jesus became one of us, he can help each one of us. In his name we pray, amen.